This is NFL.com's Coaches Show Podcast. 40 men together can't lose. This is why you lift all them weights. Everybody's grabbing out there. Nobody's them. And now we're going. There's a gleam, men. There's a gleam. Welcome to the Coaches Show Podcast. Here is Steve Mariucci. I'm Brian Billick. This week we break down the Saints-Patriots thriller and how Tom Brady is doing more with less. The struggles of RG3. Is it time for the Redskins to abandon the read option? Plus, how difficult is it to make a quarterback change midseason? The Coaches Show Podcast reviewing week six starts now. Well, Mooch, before we get started, I've got to compliment you on your choice of pictures. I like the decorum you've got in your office right now. All right. All right. So here we go. Here we go. That is, yes, it is, Brian Billick, everybody, in spandex, okay? Now, I don't know if you're in Italy or Canada or at home in your backyard, but this is really cute. I, I, I'm going to keep this up for a few you, years, You I wished think. you looked that good in spandex. I don't think I ever had spandex on in my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going anyway? Just anywhere that spandex will take me. Anybody wants to go with me in spandex, I'm with them. I see you're alone here. <laughs> you're right. You're, there's no one else in that picture. That's exactly right. Uh, let's let's start. Boy, what an incredible game when you're talking about the Saints and and New England. And the, forget the fact that the matchup and the fact that New England was able to win. The way that game ended. And let's talk about some of the coaching decisions on both sides. You had Bill Belichick going for a very controversial fourth down. Some people can, in hindsight, now they won the game, so obviously it was a good decision now. And the yeah. two third-down decisions by Sean Payton to throw the ball uh, and, and the incompletion stopped the clock, gave Tom Brady some more time, and then running the naked boot by Drew Brees. So let's talk about Let's begin with the process and some of the decisions they went through. You remember a couple of years ago, Brian, when we had a similar discussion about Bill Belichick going for it on fourth down right. against That's right. the Colts on fourth and two, didn't make it, and, and all of a sudden it's like, what? So because I had to go on the air, I don't know, the next day or after that or whatever, and talk about it like this, I did a little research. I had a research department find out that Bill Belichick has gone for it on fourth down more often than anybody, and his percentage of making it on fourth down is better than anybody else's, at least up to that point, and I'm assuming it's pretty much the same right now. And so the only thing that I was a little bit surprised about was where it was on the field because yeah. he typically would go for it on fourth down when he crossed midcourt, right? And so on his own 24-yard line, boy, oh, boy, you, you need to make that. Otherwise, you're giving up points immediately, supposedly. So uh, it didn't make it. They play on. But, uh, you know, just keep in mind, everybody, he does that, and he's been very successful with it. Well, and I don't know that there's another coach in the game that's better at situational football, sizing up those those handful of decisions you have to make. And this wasn't just an arbitrary decision of him on the sideline going, yeehaw, let's go for it on fourth down. I'm sure this was a lot of thought going into, we talk about it all the time, about teams that play a Peyton Manning team that feel compelled to go for fourth down, thinking we got to keep up. Field goals isn't going to get it done. We're going to need lots of points. Looking at that New Orleans offense, Drew Brees, he may have felt like, you know what, we're going to need points. They're going to be at a premium. I can't, I'm only going to have so many series. I'm not justifying that he went for it, particularly, like you said, a little surprising when in the game and where they went for it. But, again, people have got to know that Bill Belichick wasn't going to do that just on a haphazard way. Well, let's flip it over the other way because Sean Payton okay. made some interesting calls, mm-hmm. calls that you could say, okay, you know, it's all about in a four-minute mentality, I've got the win. 
Job one is don't give the ball back to the opponent. Two, mm-hmm. I want to minimize how much time they have if indeed I'm going to punt to them. And, and let's look at some of his decisions, throwing the ball on a third down that stopped the clock that event, evidently or eventually gave uh, Tom Brady just enough time to, to get the win. Well, they ran the ball on first and second down, which was understandable, you know, to take some time off the clock or make them use up a timeout, whatever it may be. And then third and seven, the coach says, all right, I've got to decide, do I run the ball again and go down all the way to the two-minute warning or make them use their timeout? Or do I trust my future Hall of Fame quarterback in making a play on third and seven? And it was a, it was a little bit like Bill Belichick's decision on fourth and six. Can we go make six or seven yards with my great quarterback? So he had to decide that. And, and uh, you know, he ends up not making it and kicking the field goal there. But um, I think oftentimes it's, it's a matter of it's an either or. Do I go for it or not? And then, and then you look in your quarterback's eyes and you say, well, I, gotta, I got confidence in this guy that I think he can do this. Yeah, and let's remember the Coach's Show podcast mantra that if it worked, you're a genius. If it doesn't, genius. you're the village idiot. Right. Uh, even and though so the it, thought process, and I, I agree with you 100%. We talked about Bill Belichick thinking, you know what, I need points to keep up with Drew Brees. I think you got to believe Sean Payton throwing the ball on third down. And conventionally it's thinking, okay, I'm going to take the clock down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make him use a timeout. But I'm still going to have to punt. And I'm giving the ball back to Tom Brady with that much time. I don't care if he's got to use the timeout or not or if I gobble up his timeout. And I've got, and I've got Drew Brees. So do I really want to give the ball back to Tom Brady, very conscious Mm -hmm. of the fact that that's Tom Brady I'm giving the ball back to? And I think the call itself, the naked boot, we saw Eli Manning do that or Peyton Manning do that the other week. And what a great call. Brilliant call. Why? Because it scored. And and if the end hadn't played it as well as he did, Drew Brees might have made some yards with that thing. Plus, more importantly, when the quarterback's hand run it all the way. He won't go out of bounds, right? He'll right, know, I right. don't want to stop the clock. I'd be got to be that good right. running back and let that thing grind down. So I think the play design, and again, this wasn't something that Peyton or, or Eli, meant, or excuse me, Sean Payton just made up. He, he knew in this situation, he's a situational coach as well. Hey, if I get in this situation, we're going to run this bootleg play. Uh, and why not with the Drew Brees? Didn't quite turn out. So I don't, I, don't, I don't argue with the decision. I don't argue with the call either. Yeah, I don't either. And so, uh, you know, you... you to me, you know, you got to give the, them the benefit of the doubt. It's, it's very well thought out in the in the small amount of time that you have to make that decision, and you got to know what your chances are. There's no guarantees, uh, so you you make the call and you hope it works. Most of the time, these quarterbacks or these coaches make it work. Some of the time, it doesn't work, and then you have to live with the consequences. And all of us that are going to debate it for the next week. Yeah. So anyway, uh, you know. Maybe we're not going to talk about it after this. That was a heck of a football game. Oh, now. it was. It, it was. I mean, it was it was well played, hard fought, two real heavyweights going at it, and uh, it, it was just just think of what these teams are doing. How how good has that Saints defense become over right. last year's worst in the world? And then how good is this? most of the time, some of the time, this Patriots offensive bunch with all these rookies all over the place and winning games, but, um, that's what I dwell on. It was an amazing football game, and it came down to some tough calls by the coaches. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but, boy, was it a great well, game. Well, one of the things you could second guess, I, I imagine, is, is and I, I'm getting to a subject I want to talk about, Tom Brady and the core of receivers he's dealing with. You could make the case, look, I know it's Tom Brady, but look who he's throwing to. 
yeah, I'm going to run the odds thinking, I don't know if Tom Brady can go the length of the field with this group right. against right. my defense. Let's talk about the job. That this, in my mind, and his numbers aren't going to match. Last year, he led the league in offense and scoring offense, and he did the Tom Brady thing, and we know his numbers. I don't know that this isn't the best I've ever seen Tom Brady, given the circumstances he's having to deal with, with this group of receivers he has. Yeah, Numbers will not tell the story this year. And, in fact, I swear, Brian, I, I was going to call Bill Belichick and say, Bill, not that he cares to hear from me, but I was going to say, Bill, this is your best coaching job yeah. of your career because they've got 14 rookies on the active roster, okay, that are contributing and playing and they're five and one, and, and, and it's amazing what they're getting out of this bunch. And, it, and, it, and it's not just that. Then Big Vince gets hurt, all right? And Tommy Kelly gets hurt. And this young defense is having to hold up without those two big guys in there. It's an amazing story. And Tom Brady is getting – we saw how frustrated he was uh, the night that we, we had the Thursday night game. I walked out of the stadium with him. Remember, he was going a little cuckoo on the sidelines with all these rookies, you know, and they just couldn't catch a pass. And, and he, that's who he has to play with. And, as, you know, they, they signed Austin Colley uh, off the street. But, uh, you know, he's having to do this without guys that were really they – were, they, were, they weren't counting on him last year in training camp or OTAs. And here they are. It's all you got. Make it work. They're making it work. Yeah. And we're going to find out about Aaron Rodgers, another great quarterback, given the injuries they've got now with Randall Cobb and, and James Jones being down. He's going to be tested the same way. The difference being right now for, for Green Bay is they're running the ball real well. How about the Packers and the way they're running the ball right now? You know, that's a saving grace, Brian, right now for this depleted receiving core. Remember, they lost Greg Jennings before the season started to the Vikings over there. And then when James Jones went down, that was, oh, boy. And then, of course, Aaron Rodgers got miffed about the, the hit on, on Randall Cobb. And it's because where's my receiving core going here? And, and, you know, they've got a guy named Jarrett Boykin, who, who's, a, who's he and Jordy Nelson were the only two standing receivers yeah. left in that game. Thank God the running game, like you said, is coming along. Big Eddie Lacy, huh, rolled tide. Boy, is he really answering the bell, the second-round draft choice. And, and all of a sudden, it's not just him. You know, Jonathan Franklin, and then they had James Starks rush for 100 right. yards. Maybe they're becoming more balanced because of necessity. But you know what? They're proving that they can do that even without that starting tackle, Brian Belaga. Yeah, and the good thing is is that like we've all been on teams where you're forced into doing some things. You change your personality a little bit. Then when you get those guys back, you've got, you've got them back plus that aspect of the game that's been picked up. I want to go back to New England game. One more thing. I thought, again, typical Bill Belichick, beautiful move in terms of taking Aqib Tlaib and matching him one-on-one -on -one up with so Jimmy Graham. Uh, that, I thought that was, a, you know, we've seen people like Gonzalez be, doubling him and jamming him off the line yep. to take a physical corner like Tlaib. And you don't have a lot of guys that can do this. I thought Jimmy Graham, it showed, again, he's a young player, and he wasn't used to this. He, this is a matchup. No. He'll get better at it, but this, this caught him off stride a little bit because I don't think he knew what to do with a good, big, physical corner that could play him like a wide receiver. You know that, that promo we do for uh, the uh, NFL Network, you know, and they have that little kid on the couch and her dad's paying the pizza guy, and it's pay to man. <laughs> well, Akeem Tlaib is the new pay to man, all yeah. right? This guy's going to be a free agent next year. Boy, he's a heck of a player. He's up there with the top three or four corners in the league. And we were doing uh, game day highlights last night. And I asked Deion Sanders, I said, Prime, you ever 
go one-on-one? -on because, -one? you know, they put Dion on the best guy. He's on Jerry Rice. He's on Michael Irvin. If he's playing against whoever the best guy, he had him. I said, did you ever go on a tight end? He said, never, never. No. And, and whether there were – I don't want to say there weren't good tight ends like Jimmy Graham and Gonzalez back in the, when he played. I, there was. But uh, to see the best corner match up with the tight end just about every play, and then he gets hurt – they both got hurt, but Aqib Tlaib got hurt. And Devin McCourty had to do that job, and right. he did it very well. And shut him out. Big goose egg with Jimmy Graham. Let's hope he's healthy. Let's, both, let's hope they're all healthy. But that was, uh, that was a very important part of this game plan. Yeah, just a creative move on a coach. Okay, how am I going to do this? How going to uh, the classic Bill Belichick take away what you do best in the passing game? As of late, Jimmy Graham's been the best thing that New Orleans does with Drew Brees and 100-yard games and that type of thing. I just thought it was a, a brilliant move. And, and mm -hmm. oh, by the way, neither Belichick or Sean Payton look as good in spandex as I do, just, just for the record there. You know, I don't think anybody looks as good as you in spandex. <laughs> you're, you're warming but up you need, to that. That, that shirt, you need to start doing some curls for I know, the girls, I, though. It gets a little chiseled up, Brian. Or get Is a tighter a shirt. I, get a t I need to get a tighter shirt. Let's, uh, let's go to last night's game. Uh, and I was done with my game in, in, in Minneapolis, that, that beat down that Carolina put on the Minnesota Vikings. But I was able to watch the game coming back with uh, Dallas and, and Washington. And let's talk about RG3. I mean, he looks like he's getting healthier. Yep. But they're just not, I, I think, and I don't know whether it's just the fact that they're not very good on defense. Washington isn't. We talked and started the year talking about how's the league going to adjust to the read option? How's the league going to be spread out? Well, it looks like the league, not only here, but across the board, is adjusting very well. And even though RG3 is getting healthier, they just don't seem to be able to make those, enough of those special plays that they were like last year. Let's remember that he missed all of training camp right. or all the preseason games. And he's got that brace on his plant leg. And it, what's the old saying? How do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, mm -hmm. practice. Well, he missed a lot in the offseason in training camp. And so while last night watching that game, he looked faster. He did look healthier. Boy, I, I agree with you. And he, and he kind of looks like almost the same RG3 as we saw last year. That passing game needs more work. It needs more work on game day and on the practice field. And he threw for under 50%. And there's some balls that are sailing on him a little bit. But you know the passing game and the timing of it, uh, very important to, to, you know, to have some longevity and some repetition and, and some being in sync with these receivers. It doesn't seem like it's quite there yet. And you mentioned it, the, uh, the zone read and that package, while it's still good, to me it's still risky on that guy. Um, defensive coordinators are no rum-dums. They're, they're learning right. how to take it away, slow it down, let's say. And so, uh, you know, he's, he's always seeming to having to play from behind, too. And if, if, if they have, if, you know, if they're in the lead or even, you know, I think they can do what they want. They don't have to put so much pressure on the drop-back passing game. But right now, he's still a work in progress. I think he's coming along, though. It starts with his health, and that's certainly better Yeah, right and now. you were right to point out in the offseason, probably no one spent more time in the building or worked harder than RG3, but rehabbing in the offseason is totally different than being in the building and working towards those other things, like you say, getting with the receivers, doing all those things. The rehab clearly does affect that. Does, does Washington, do they take a page out of the 49ers playbook in that we talked a few weeks ago and they had Kaepernick doing all these different types of things? 
and it looked like they, you know, not that they were listening to the Coach's Show podcast. They might, you know. They might but, be. They, but but uh, got back to more of the power running game and the read option, all the other stuff was just kind of an adjunct to it. They got back to the basis of what they were doing well. Should Mike Shanahan and Washington get back? Because no one's better at the running game than Mike Shanahan and the, and the, and the inside, you know, the, the zone running game, not the, the, power, the, the read option, but the zone running game. It seems like Alfred Morris has different, uh, disappeared a little bit. Should they get back to more of that? Just be that the base offense and then go ahead and let, let uh, RG3 kind of do things from the pocket? I think in time when, when RG3 is in Mike Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan's offense, I think it's going to evolve and morph more into a West Coast offense and a little bit less uh, the option stuff. And, and the razzle-dazzle stuff. Because they do have a running back that can, that can really, you know, he can make 15, 1,800 yards. Alfred Morris is that guy with the stretch play and the, the, the inside and outside zones. Um, and, and RG3 is a terrific play-action guy, boot, play-action keep, that kind of guy. Um, I think they're going to, as time goes on, become better at that. Drop back pass when they want to, not because they have to. Um, but it's going to take time because... RG3 is not going to develop fully until that defense is more complete. They're just, they're just yeah. far away on defense right now. Might take another year. Uh, we, we, I should say, I made the observation, and I think others as well, that when you look at these guys, whether it be uh, an RG3, whether it be a Russell Wilson and Colin Kaepernick, our faith in their being really great quarterbacks, yeah, they can do those other things. But we all said, okay, they, they, but they can be guys look like they can beat you from the pocket. Um, and, and I'm not ready to bail on that yet, but RG3's accuracy seems to be now, is that just a function of what we're talking about in the offseason, or are you beginning to have concerns about, is he indeed, can he be that pocket guy that we kind of thought, or at least I thought last year, uh, he and Russell Wilson and, and Colin Kaepernick can be? Yeah, well, you, you and I have both been around some good ones, and, and so when there's ever a slump or if there's ever a young guy that's struggling with accuracy, you really took, you, you know, you take a look back at the fundamentals. Yeah, you look at the protection and you have a clean pocket and are the receivers running the right routes with the, the sufficient timing, but you look at the mechanics, and, and, I, and I think RG3, you know, has got to study himself in the pocket Make sure that he's he's balanced and he's he's transitioning his weight and he's doing all the things mechanically that he needs to be to be accurate. And I think I'd start with that. I think there's some work to do there. I really like RG3 because I think he's going to be terrific. Um, you know, but when you when a guy goes through, I don't want to call this a slump, but we've seen better from him and and we need to see better from him. And I think you're going to get it with practice and time and just cleaning up some mechanics and some of the route running that they have going on. Uh, we funny. both know that most rookies, of course, they're not rookies now, but but most rookies, they come into the league and they can throw what they see. You can teach them progressions and reads and this, that, and the other, and they have to evolve in that. But for the most part, they can only throw what they see, and then they evolve out of that. And And obviously with the ability to run the ball in the play action, that works very well for our G3 last year. Is is part of it just what we're talking about? He's not maybe compared to an Andrew Luck, compared to certainly a Russell Wilson. I would even say, is he not? He's not progressed as much in that read progression that we're talking about. He's still throwing what he sees. I think that's accurate, and I and I believe I'll go back to what I said earlier. You know this. I had a guy named Ty Dittmer on my team. Okay, we drafted him in the eighth round when we had eight rounds. And the reason that the NFL stuff wasn't too big for him was because he had been in, back in the pocket in drop-back passing game 
I don't know, eight bazillion times in college at BYU. He threw 121 touchdown passes, okay? And in, in a pro scheme, reading pro kind of defenses, okay? So there was some real familiarity there. And RG3 will become much better as he continues to get back in the pocket, reads defenses, works through his progression, just like a, a drop-back quarterback would be. And when that occurs, look out, because we know he has all the other stuff. And so, you know, the improvise, the scramble, all the other things you can do with him on offense that you can't do with Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, that'll stay there. But he's going to get better and better with time, with repetition, with his receivers. And, and uh, you know, that's going to come. But it's going to come with practice time and playing time together with experience. Well, this, this has become a, a, a quarterback-centric podcast, but let's continue on with that in terms of we have a few others around the league that the transition from one quarterback to another is worth talking about right now in Philadelphia. Michael Vick's hurt in that New York game two weeks ago <clears> I did. And then they go with Nick Folds, and he plays very, very well. And they are a different offense with Nick Folds. I won't say better or worse, but they're different. They lose something yep. in terms of the running because Nick Folds not going to run. There was an efficiency in that passing offense in Philadelphia that we saw that we hadn't seen before with Michael Vick. So now we're both mm-hmm. Chip Kelly now. Do you, uh, I mean, you? well, you know, Mike's still – I'm not sure Mike's 100% yet. I, I mean, do, are we comfortable going with Nick Folds or what? If I'm Chip Kelly, I'm comfortable with Nick Foles because remember the competition in the preseason. It was pretty close. And then they, you know, they needed to choose one to get some, all the reps for the, first, the last preseason game and the first game, so they chose Michael, and that was a good call. But now Nick Foles is showing again that he can do this. Yes, they, they lose the, the threat of the, the, that zone read and pull it and run with a quarterback. So, did, so he fooled them. Chip Kelly, nice call early. They run the quarterback draw. How about that? On the first the, drive. The score. Everybody, there's not anybody in the stadium that thought that Nick Foles was going to run with it. And zing, you could have you ran know that the Tampa with your Bay, spandex. You know your the spandex could have scored the on that The Tampa one. Bay defensive coordinators, you know during the week, <laughs> was saying, now look, normally we have to worry about that, but we don't have to with Nick Foles. So forget <laughs> about the quarterback draw. So it was a great so, call. It really was. But defenses are playing them differently now, too. Instead of safeties having to come up near the line of scrimmage and in the box to play quarterback or to to create an eight-man box, they don't have to do that as often anymore. So what? They can play back, double safeties, cover two, two two-man, and play pass coverage. Well, he still threw the ball pretty well. But I think that's going to help LaShawn McCoy out when safeties are not near the box. When they're back there, LaShawn McCoy should like that idea and say, hmm, they're not playing quarterback, but they're playing pass, and that gives me a light box to run against. So the other thing, too, Brian, it's going to be interesting because Michael Vick is in his last year of his contract. And I hate when this happens. You have to make a a financial decision, but do you – do you, you know, they're starting to think about what, okay, if, if we're going to have Michael Vick play this year, it's because we want him to be around. Otherwise, we're developing him for somebody else or whatever. Um, and do we give him a big contract next year? Well, he hasn't proven to be able to stay healthy. And so do they say, well, let's just go with the young guy who's under contract, a very minimal contract, actually. And I, I hate when money comes into play, but it does. Well, and, and I saw that when because I, I did the Philadelphia-New York game when, when Mike pulled up, and the look on his face was beyond just, oh, I've, I've pulled up on a hamstring. All of what you're just talking about, you could kind of see it in his eyes. Oh, what's this going to mean? Am I going to get back on the field? What does this mean for the future? All right, you're, you're Chip Kelly then. Uh, how do you handle Mike Vick? What do you say to Mike Vick? If you're going to go with Nick Folds, 
<laughs> what do you say to a you just hey you got to be the good soldier we're going to go kind of with a hot hand you got to be ready wow. to go you give us a change but knowing that you're also telling them your career has taken a, a little bit of a left-hand turn here yeah chip's going to have to use some diplomacy here because i think part of the discussion will though will be that he says to mike mike when when we play you we want you to be 100% healthy or as close to it as possible we don't want you limping around out there because what you do that's that nobody else can give the, their offense is your ability to to run and to throw and do all those things like Michael Vick can do and and to have him out there 83 percent healthy that's doing him a disservice too and the team so my guess is if he's still got a little bit of a twinge in that hamstring Nick Foles goes because he's played well Mike's not healthy it's when Michael is completely healthy that the big decision is going to have to come up and that's going to be soon Let's, let's transition to another interesting quarterback uh, conundrum. I was up in Minnesota. I had the Carolina-Minnesota Viking game. Now, here, here, let me lay the groundwork for those that haven't followed. Christian Ponder, take with the 12th pick of the draft. He's your guy. We support him all the way. We believe in Christian Ponder. We believe in Christian Ponder. Well, he gets a little bit of a rib injury. Now, the Vikings haven't won a game. Matt Castle comes in, and they make it very clear. You know, Matt Castle is going to play, but Christian Ponder's our guy. And they go, and they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. They get their first mm-hmm. win in London. And they come back and go, you know, well, we're going to take this case by case. We believe in both quarterbacks. And the next day, oh, by the way, we've just signed Josh Freeman. And they give him more money than the other two combined. Now, I sat with them and they said they made no no bones about it. Josh Freeman's going to be their quarterback. They thought it might be a couple weeks, but they were they had nothing. Matt Caswell had nothing against the Carolina Panthers. I'd be shocked if Josh Freeman isn't the starter this week. They play New York Giants. I'd be shocked if, if, if Josh Freeman isn't the starter. Let's talk about how you handle the two other guys now and that whole situation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a doozy. That's a doozy. And, hey, how about this little tidbit? When I was coaching in the USFL, the Orlando Renegades, you know it, um, Josh Freeman's dad, Ron, was on our team. He was a linebacker on our team. He's personal protector on the punt team, smart guy, tough guy, and all of that. So I've taken kind of an interest in Josh, uh, even when he was in college, just because I knew his dad. Uh, this is an interesting scenario, and I think Leslie Frazier has got to figure out who can help me stick around here, you know, and because I need to win some games. I've got the best runner in the world, and... and uh, and the other two guys simply haven't been consistently doing it uh, enough, and, and we don't know if they're the future. So I think you got to try Josh. I hope he can don't learn the start system him right fast now? enough. Don't you have huh? to start him right now and not wait for another week? Well, or... you know, did he learn the system well enough to succeed, Brian? I, I don't know how much different it was. Who cares? You know, it's got to be better than what really? we saw against the Vikings and uh, against he, Carolina. And don't. don't don't yeah. you just the only reason me. I would care is because if he just lays an egg because he doesn't True. know how to make the calls, then you're, everybody's got egg on their face. So, I, but I think he's a smart enough guy to learn the system. What, what's he been there two weeks? Two yeah. weeks. But if, if um, my point would be if if Christian Ponder and Matt Castle were injured and you brought Josh Freeman, wouldn't you have to do it? Wouldn't you yeah. say, okay, we'll live with yeah. it? When yeah. when okay, first thing you got to do, turn around, and hand the ball to twenty eight, Adrian Peterson. Okay, I, you, that you part that. I can figure out. And then play fake and make the throws down the field. So if in that scenario, well, let me, I'm going to see if I can persuade you here a little bit. They play New York this week. The week afterwards, when they're kind of thinking, okay, this is where we'll start, Josh Freeman, is Green Bay Packers. Mm-hmm. Minnesota Vikers, Viking, Green Bay Packers. You want to start Josh Freeman, his first start in Minnesota against Green Bay Packers? 
<laughs> you know, all right, play the man. Um, <laughs> I you know, I can talk you into it. He's got to he's got to figure it out fast, and so I hope they have a, a mechanism to teach him the offense quickly. Yeah, how about this? I remember bringing in a guy like this when I was coaching the Packers, and we had uh, and we had Brett Favre, and, and Don Mikowski was hurt, and all of that. Anyway, um, we we had a spot for a quarterback, so we brought in Jim McMahon. Remember Jim McMahon? Okay, <laughs> Brian. He came in with a big fur coat on. All the way down to the sunglasses. I went, oh, my God, this is Jim McMahon. Anyway, we had to get him ready because we had some injuries behind Brett. Um, then we cut T.J. Rubley. So what we did is we gave him all the tapes because we taped every installation. Remember when right, Bill yeah. Walsh old, would tape yeah, installations? Walsh so I kept doing that. I don't know if you kept doing that or not. But we did it not only in the offseason but in the training camp and even uh, during the year. So when Jim came in, we had all of these tapes for him to watch to get caught up on the offense. Now, did he watch him? I don't know. But he, but we had him. Here, Jim, watch the tapes. Get ready to play this week. And so I don't know if Josh Freeman has a, a, a refresher course quite like that or not, but he needs to learn this offense because I want him to play well when he takes, this, you know, takes that huddle. I, I had Jim McMahon for one year in Baltimore, and I'm going to go out on a limb and guarantee you right now there's no way in the world he looked at those tapes. Those are still sitting in the back of his car. He never even took them out of the car. Hey, right. He had sunglasses. This is in the winter. He had sunglasses on, that big fur coat. I went, okay, you must be Jim McMahon. And, and I'm going, oh, my. And he and Favre, I thought it'd be like gasoline and matches. They're like two peas in a pod. Yeah. Oh, my God, help us. All right, I'll throw but, another tough one at you. I got I to gotta ask you, assuming he's healthy. You're Gary Kubiak. What do we do? Yeah. What do we do with our quarterback, Matt Schaub? And obviously we see T.J. Yates come in. He didn't know. He, he continued that nice streak of interceptions for touchdowns. They're in a tough spot right now. Gary knows that his future is tied to this a little bit. Do you stick with Matt Schaub, or do you go ahead and say, well, we'll let the other guy see if he can do it? Well, I'm just about as more, uh, more disappointed in some of those fans, to be honest with you. Um, you know, going to his driveway and harassing him there and then cheering when he got hurt, that really, that really didn't sit well with me or anybody else. But it's only a handful of people. But, it, you know, Gary is in a tough spot. And, you know, when T.J. Yates threw that pick six, somebody said it must be in their playbook. And, and it's just uh, – they're just the, – it's not just the quarterback position, Ryan. You know that. The team looks like they're in a funk. And they, they were 12-4, and four, a playoff team last year. And they don't look anything like it right now. And so even that defense, J.J. Watt didn't have any tackles yesterday. And so, um, you know, they've got to – I don't know what you do there. I get back to basics and, and uh, just keep swinging because they've got a pretty decent football team that's in a funk right now. And they've got – I don't think Matt Schaub is healthy enough, though, to, to come back right away, is he? Yeah, it does. That it ankle, does. knee, that, oh, that, yeah. that was a bad injury. But, do you, do you, uh, yeah, they've got well, a tough one. Whether it's them or anybody else, do you look at the, the guys out there, Vince – Vince Young or Tim Tebow? I mean, <laughs> yeah, let's stir that uh, up a little bit. Vince Young tweeted yeah, it out. He says he's ready to go. He's ready, yeah, he's ready. I don't know who he <laughs> tweeted it to, but, but he says he's ready to go. Um, Maybe you're ready with your spandex. I will. Go I could. Sorry. Yeah, if they can wear the spandex, I think we'll give them a chance. Let's, a uh, couple teams that, uh, that are winning in a lot of ways. We don't talk about it enough here, uh, but one of the things I'm writing about it this Sunday or this Wednesday on my, my piece for NFL.com. The running game seems to. we got a couple mm. teams now. You know, it's a quarterback-driven league, and it's all about big plays. But we got a couple teams, whether it's Seattle, 
run the ball well. Kansas City run the ball well at the heart of what they're doing. Uh, even the 49ers seem to have gotten back to that formula, um, uh, which we all, every coach that's ever gotten a job says, we're going to stop the run, we're going to be able to run the ball. Can, can that balance trump a Manning, a Far, or a Manning, a Brady, a Breeze? Can playing good defense, run the ball, solid quarterback play, can that win a championship compared to one of these others that are, you know, Peyton Manning throwing the ball for 75,000 yeah. touchdowns? And- I think it can, and I think it will, and I think it should. Um, I, I'm, and I'm old school. You and I both are old school, even though you used to sling it around when you were in Minnesota like crazy. But you had a good runner, too. But when I, went, was, I was coaching the San Francisco 49ers, we led the league in rushing twice, and we were second one other time. And, and people would, would, would complain about that being what – we call conservative. Right. And to me, running, the running game isn't conservative. It's smash mouth. It's aggressive. It's wear you down. And you're seeing some teams with the same mentality. And I love it, to be honest with you. San Francisco, like you mentioned, is one of them. Green Bay is finding a yep. run game. The Saints, they use a fullback as much as anybody in the National Football League with base personnel. You hardly... Some teams don't even have a fullback anymore, Brian. Half the teams don't have a fullback. That's a dinosaur position. And so to be able to close out a game, to be able to play in inclement weather, if you have to, and many teams have to, uh, to be able to, you know, to, you know, own the, the trenches. Well, you got to be physical to do that. You can't have a bunch of finesse guys. You got to have some monsters and, and, and play smash mouth. And, and I love that. I, I, and, and I know we're becoming more of a pass league. Because of the rules, stay, you know, say we should, and some of the great quarterbacks we have right now. But I don't think the run game's ever going to go away anytime soon. No. I think it's really something, and it's it's that physical part of football that we all love. And I'm going to expand on something you brought up that I think is very valid. Because as I watch the really good teams right now, my biggest question is, is when I'm looking to handicap, okay, who's really good, who can win a championship? I want to see what they do on the road. You know, can. Can Denver go into a New Orleans and win? Can New Orleans go into Seattle and win? Can Seattle go into San Francisco and win? Can San Francisco go? Can they go on the road? And and the way to do that, I have a little bit more faith on those teams that have that good running attack. We saw New Orleans go into New England and and uh, had a bunch of three and outs and, and, and only ran the ball so well. Not that they weren't capable of winning and had it right down to the end. We spent the first half of the show talking about that. But... I'm, I've got a growing conviction that maybe that balance might be the difference maker in allowing a team to go in on the road and get that win that they might not otherwise be able to get. That maybe, just maybe, a Peyton Manning in inclement weather having to go on the road or a Tom Brady in inclement weather having to go on the road or one of these teams that are more, you know, more reliant on the pass might not be able to do. That might be the difference maker when we get into the playoffs. Yeah, it might be because old man Winter shows up and he plays defense, doesn't he? And so, um, you know, we, we talked a, a lot about this improved Saints defense, Brian. Well, part of the reason they're improved like crazy is because their offense leads the league in yeah. time of possession yeah. by a mile, okay? They're 34-something. That means there's eight-plus minutes Per game, the defense is on the field less than their offense. That's three possessions. Can you imagine taking away three possessions from Peyton Manning? That helps you win the game. And so, so the run game, two clock, and, and, and the physical part of it, and playing late in the season and closing games, that's, uh, it's so important. And I think a lot of teams are realizing that now. 
Yeah, it's uh, I'm, I'm, as we, we're approaching the midway point where you really, as we always say, your record is what you, it, you know, you are who your record says you are. And and you've earned that record, whatever it is, as we go to it. Uh, but as we continue to close it in, that's the thing I want to watch is how do these teams I put, put so much value on a team's ability to win on the road. I think it's yeah. the hardest thing to do in all organized team sports is go on the road in the NFL and win on a consistent. But, you know, the old formula, we said it many times, win at home, split on the road. You know, beat the teams you're supposed to beat, split with the good teams. Well, can you go yep. on the road and beat a good team? That's, that's the real hallmark. That I, that's what I want to see some of these teams do and the running game. Although I will say this, looking at the top, and I don't want to just dismiss uh, Denver in terms of not being a, a good running team because Sean Marino had a pretty good game now. How, that's all Peyton Manning needs now with all the skill he has outside to also know, okay, if you really want to stack up outside, I'll hand the ball off a whole bunch and we can run the ball pretty good. Yeah, that's where they're really dangerous and it just depends on who you're putting in the box. Pick your poison. and so. But I'm, I want to go back to this road game thing because I have a, I have a little uh, – we have this decibel reading thing now all of a sudden in the league, and I love it because Seattle set the record last week, 136-point-whatever uh, decibels, and that's loud. That's like airplane engine, like standing right next to it. And then Kansas City supposedly beat it this week, and we know that Kansas City is very loud, but it's an open-air you know, open stadium, and they don't have the roof keep the sound down. And they went, yeah, 137.2 or something. I don't know about all that, Brian. That's We're like, measuring the fans' about that? sound decibels. I love it. That's like your old SAT score. I want a proof. I want. I want to see. I want to see <laughs> yeah. how we're measuring that, and we measure it at the they same. They had way. it up on their jumbotron. Oh, they had I'm a sure big thing did. on their jumbotron. They had some guy, you know, fixing that thing right. One thirty-seven. Yeah. yeah. That. Uh, yeah. And and well, um, you, like I said, I love the fact I get a chance to visit with you on Sunday because I'm doing a game and I try to get glimpses of the games, and then in the morning I try to get on the tape. But you're sitting there on Sunday and you get to see it all. What? What? Give me a couple big takeaways. From that, that just jump out at you that you're thinking about as you're heading home on Sunday night going, you know what, I'm, I'm, this interests me. Well, you know, and it's fun sitting around on Sundays because right after our game day morning for four hours, that show, uh, we all sit around. There's probably 20 of us, 25 of us. There's, you know, talent and producers and, you know, people that have to watch the games. And we got them all on, on the big jumbotrons all at once. And we're watching and it's a lot of fun. Um, but what I noticed uh, four years ago, Brian, this this division in the NFC out here in the West Coast, yeah. okay? People were calling it the NFC worst, yeah, for right? For a long time. You know what? There's not a losing team right now in the NFC West. Maybe the two best teams in the NFC, the Seattle Seahawks and the 49ers, maybe the two best teams, certainly in the discussion. And then the Cardinals and, and the Rams now, you know, three and three. And they're not a pushover either. Ask Houston. And so I, I can't, you know, this division is really upgraded. Uh, good coaching, good players, good quarterbacking now, you know. So it's, and then we've got the game Thursday night against uh, Cardinals and Seahawks. Man, it's, it's getting excited out here, exciting out here in the West Coast. You, you can throw in, how about the AFC West with San Diego? I know. Obviously, the two undefeated we teams have two, still left. Two undefeated teams. So when's if the you last just take the West. Two? You know, the whole Just NFL West. Yeah. West. That's, that's pretty good. The left coast, you bet. And there hasn't been, there hasn't been two 6-0 teams in the same division. I just read this in USA Today. Since in 79 years, okay, yeah. it's been 79 years since two teams in the same division were 6-0. We have it with Andy Reid and John Fox. Wow. Yeah. 
And, and who were the team, two teams? Was it Chicago and Green Bay? And they were in the NFL West? They're West, yeah. <laughs> Remember, we'll it used to be NFL it. East and NFL West, the Eastern and Western Division, well, period. That was you, a long yeah, you're that time old. Ago. You remember. Daniel Boone didn't even discover the West yet. Everything was back over there, you know? You remember that. Well, I tell you what, uh, <laughs> next week we're going to both do this show in spandex. What do you think? Uh oh, I don't have any spandex. It's good. I know you do. Send me a pair, will you? Thank God it's on the radio. Well, that's it for the Coach Show podcast. We appreciate you tuning in. Make sure you download. Go to NFL.com and find this Coach Show podcast. We'll see you right back here next week.